We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time, it's time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. And I'm joined in the studio this evening by Ross Feingold. Good evening. And by Michael Smith in Kaohsiung. Good evening. Tonight we'll be discussing Ma Ying Zhou wrapping up his China visit and Terry Guo vowing to return the KMT to power if non-Pan Green camps can unite. The Taiwan People's Party chairman Kerwin Zhe slamming both the DPP and the KMT ahead of his trip to the United States this weekend. And the Council of Agriculture saying it plans to import more eggs as shortages of the staple food. Well, apparently they're still persisting in some parts of the island. But we'll begin with President Tsai Ing-wen meeting with US House Speaker Kevin McCarthy at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library in Simi Valley, California on Thursday morning, Taiwan time, Wednesday if you happen to be in America. Now, both Tsai and McCarthy reaffirmed the strong partnership between Taiwan and the United States and their commitment to safeguarding regional stability following the two-hour closed-door chit-chat. Now, McCarthy, speaking after the chit-chat, said he believes the bond between the two sides is stronger now than any time or any point during his lifetime. McCarthy also stressed that the friendship between the people of Taiwan and the United States is a matter of profound importance to the free world and is critical to maintaining economic freedom, peace and regional stability. Meanwhile, Tsai touted the presence of bipartisan Congress members at the said meeting, saying their unwavering support has reassured the people of Taiwan that we are not isolated and we are not alone. She noted that the peace and democracy Taiwan has worked hard to maintain and build are facing unprecedented unprecedented challenges and she went on to reiterate her administration's commitment to defending the peaceful status quo so ross i mean obviously we didn't get to see the meeting but i mean what did you think of the nice little press conference they had in front of a nice airplane after the meeting i don't think much was surprising about what was related uh, as far as the content of what was discussed between president Tsai and the members of the U.S. House. Uh, it, was, it was nice to see that it was it was bipartisan. To be fair to Speaker McCarthy, whether it's the China committee and statements he's made about China issues or the delegation that he, he brought together for uh, meeting President Tsai, he, he's tried to keep the China stuff, broadly speaking, including Taiwan, uh, bipartisan. So that was good to see. But as, as far as statements about democracy or, or weapon sales and trying to uh, accelerate that because the, the supply chain and other uh, problems have been extensively reported. Some of it arises from COVID. A lot of it arises from uh, the need for the U.S. to supply Ukraine. Uh, yeah, I, I, I felt like we could have scripted out most of what was said, and we also could have scripted out the, uh, uh, I, I guess call it jousting that occurred outside. I, I saw some video of uh, the supporters of China and Taiwan with with flags that they you know, they, they looked like they were doing the medieval jousting thing coming out coming at each other with with, with the with the flagpoles uh, so you know, we're still kind of waiting here for what China's ultimate reaction is going to be they announced uh, naval activity and inspections of ships traversing the Taiwan Strait uh, that that probably won't be everything there there will probably be, probably be more but but that was also within what we predicted right that there'd be an aftermath there'd be a cost and uh, the Taiwan government was dis- was prepared to to pay whatever cost uh, there is keeping in mind if there's military exercises Taiwan has to respond and that costs money and puts pressure on personnel just like 
what happened with uh, Pelosi's visit. Uh, and then we go forward, uh, not just the Chinese response and the Taiwan response to the Chinese response. Uh, what happens uh, you know, in the future? Will Will McCarthy actually come here? Will the next speaker meet with uh, the next president? You know, the, these are all kind of medium to long-term issues. Uh, and the reason why I bring up that part is you know, we're, we had the pr- – I wouldn't call it a precedent because uh, there was a speaker who came here in the late 90s and then it took 25 years to happen again. But So we have the recent examples uh, now of, of a meeting with the House Speaker. Uh, does the Senate Majority Leader follow? Uh, because that hasn't happened in many years uh, in Taiwan or in, 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 in the U.S. when the president next transits. Uh, well, you know, is this going to become a regular thing with a House Speaker visiting or, or, or meeting the president when the president transits? So those are the medium to long-term kind of aftermath things. Uh, uh, one final thought, it, it's, it's, it's unfortunate, and I'll, I'll put the blame partially on Taiwan and partially on whoever sits in the speaker's seat at any given time. It's unfortunate there was no follow-up to, to, to when Newt Gingrich visited Taiwan in 1997, because as, uh, although this stuff causes China to be extremely angry, and I'm probably making an understatement, there, there's always the precedential aspect and that if something was a regular occurrence, then we probably would be hardly talking about it because we'd be saying uh, the president, when transiting the U.S., met the House Speaker again, just like every other transit visit. Uh, unfortunately, you know, the precedent of the Gingrich visit, there, was, there wasn't any follow-up until Pelosi visited, and now we have the in-country meeting. So something to watch. Uh, it, you know, It's too bad that uh, there wasn't or this wasn't a regular event over the decades so that we wouldn't have to talk about it, Gavin. <laughs> yeah, I think Ross is on to something there with the, the regularity thing. So listening to China talk about dire consequences and all of this, it seems you know that they, they, they constantly um, just set themselves up for, for ridicule in a way because this really was nothing. If I'm not mistaken, Speaker McCarthy was originally a uh, representative from California. He's meeting her in California at the Reagan Library. Um, how unofficial, and it, it, it just doesn't, it's nothing. It, it barely registers on the radar. So if, they, if China wanted to retaliate by boarding vessels or something, they could do all that without having to put out these bombastic statements that, you know, the U.S. will suffer this, that, and the other. And they, they really, if they normalized it, uh, that could be an option as well. In other words, they, they don't even treat it as worth talking about. You know, they say something like, uh, this person is a bad leader for Taiwan, and uh, we are looking forward to working with the next leader from Taipei who will, will work towards a shared prosperous future and blah, and just make it a nothing. And it, it just seems like I, I, don't, I constantly wonder why China hasn't realized that it's big enough to not need to get so prickly about things, you know. Um, it, normalizing it in, in some ways would be beneficial for both sides. Well, the the prickly part, getting angry again, you know, it comes from a, a meeting with uh, a very senior, important uh, American politician, and the, the the discussion about the legislative branch versus the executive branch that that was kind of had in great detail last summer when 
China expected the White House to to order uh, Pelosi and her delegation not to come here. And you know, the administration, the Biden administration, pointed out that you know, we can't tell the the legislative branch what to do. And then, of course, we all know that. Well, yeah, technically you're correct, but but Biden and Pelosi were very close, so he he could have persuaded her. But President Biden decided to respect the independence of the legislative branch, and Pelosi didn't want to cancel absent uh, President Biden calling her directly, so she wound up coming. And then the the same logic applies here, but even less so because McCarthy and Biden don't have a very good relationship. Uh, so you know, we could understand why why China is angry it's it's uh but don't you think ross that every time that they make these sort of comments or china gets way overblown about this all it does is encourage one of these politicians such as mccarthy or uh, a governor or whatever to get on a plane and fly to taiwan so they can have their picture taken or you know perhaps it's for for uh honest reasons uh, but then there's also just the whole show angle of it and if you were to make it more of a blah whatever this person is doing that and we we think it's stupid and uh, there's no getting a- away from one china it's inevitable da 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 Making it bland like that would take some of the wind out of the sails. Yeah, but that uh, I'm not disputing what you're saying, but China has put itself in, in, in the response box where uh, this is their standard response to things that, that have the appearance of, of uh, frankly, you know, Taiwan being a sovereign country. And, and uh, they, they cannot not respond because they're... they're we just lost another ally. And reports are that Paraguay is going. That will close off South America. And even Belize, where she was in uh, recently, right, uh, is also re- rumored to be on the, on the chopping block. So China's in, in, in a very advantageous position currently, and they, they need to, to, to adopt a, a new strategy that would be more effective, one of just, you know, much less bluster and more power. Because if you're that powerful, why do you care so much? That's just their style. I, you know, I, I can't really defend it. I, you know, I'm just uh, being an observer here. That 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 is their style. Uh, you know, I mean, it's the same as if it's the same uh, with, when the Dalai Lama meets with uh, politicians or even heads of government. Or right? China's going to react. We say, well, why don't you just ignore this nice old man? Uh, but uh, they they see it as you know, this great threat to their interests, to their sovereignty claims, and they're they're going to react in this way. They again, they're in a box where they they can't ignore this. Uh, they, it, they'd be breaking with precedent. They have to re- respond to their their online army of nationalist uh, netizens as well. Uh, so they they have to not just say something, but uh, they have to do something. So last summer, those massive military exercises, and uh, they'll probably be a little bit more than just uh, you know, the sh- ship inspections. And as Michael pointed out, that could involve uh, a few more countries switching relations. I, I, I think th- we knew this year there'd be at least one, possibly more diplomatic relations switches because it's, again, the Chinese think it embarrasses the DPP prior to an election. And of course, Ross, they could also take a Valium. <laughs> Well, you know that's an interesting point, not in, not not in a, a literal sense, but you know, we we often we often tend to think about uh, Xi Jinping and and his uh, foreign policy, his Taiwan policy, as being so much more aggressive and a big break than versus his his predecessors. But even if we just look at this narrow issue of of 
transits uh, and go back to the administration of Chen Shui-bian, when he transited and in, in the initial years of his, his two terms, he had high-profile activities when he transited the United States. Now, later on, the Bush administration got angry at him, and they, they, they put a stop to that, frankly. Uh, but but China was just as angry. Maybe they didn't have the same military capabilities, but you know they eventually passed an anti-secession law in, in, as, as part of response to Taiwan's higher-profile diplomatic activities. And they went about the exercise of persuading some small and undeveloped countries at the time to break, break diplomatic relations with Taiwan. So the, the, the stuff and the need to react it, it predates uh, Xi Jinping. So. Uh, no, they're not going to take the Valium because this is this is what they do, and they they've been doing this in response to Taiwan's profile raising activities for a long time. And moving on now, we're looking at the KMT's big names this week. Well, former President Ma Ying-jeou has been touting the popularity of a video of him worshipping his ancestors in China as he wraps up his visit there. And speaking to reporters, Ma said that he feels positive about the video as it's received more than 100 million views and allows people on both sides of the Taiwan Strait who share the same culture to feel the same attachment to the homeland. Now, the video was produced by a Chinese television station and it was filmed as Ma was leading a delegation of Taiwanese students from the Ma Ying-jeou Foundation's Da Zhou Academy to conduct exchanges with their counterparts at the Fudan University in Shanghai. And Ma told reporters there that he believes the more contact with each other, the closer friendship between the two sides of the strait, the deeper the friendship, the lower the chance of conflict between the two sides. Meanwhile, Terry Gore jetted back from the United States earlier than planned this week. Gore had been due to arrive back here on Friday, today. But instead, he landed at Taoyuan International Airport at around 5.30 Wednesday morning. And within five hours he was standing at a podium at the Novotel Taipei Taoyuan International Airport and speaking to the press he announced that Taiwan needs a great CEO and he plans to seek the KMT's 2024 presidential nomination. Now according to Guo he well he believes that if he's nominated he will do his best to unite the non-green camp and he believes the DPP cannot continue to remain in power. And he also said he hopes he will represent the KMT to compete against the DPP's Lai Qingde in what he described as a battle of gentlemen. Now, Guo also apologised for leaving the KMT four years ago, saying that that decision disappointed many party supporters, and he's very sorry for that. However, Guo stressed that he will shoulder the responsibility and do his best for the 23 million people of Taiwan at what he described as a dangerous time in global politics by by contributing to the experience, wisdom and connections he's built in the international arena. And he went on to say that Taiwan should not take sides in conflicts between the US and China and that young people should be told that voting for the DPP would be dangerous as it has called for Taiwan independence and advocated hating and resisting China. So, Michael, Terry Guar and Ma Ying-jeou. Right, so I feel that uh, former President Ma basically managed to do something uh, on his trip to China that could make uh, pretty much both sides uh, angry or happy or perhaps both. He mentioned the Republic of China. He mentioned himself as a former president of the Republic of China. 
Well, of course, that was edited out by Chinese censors. Uh, but then, as you noted in the beginning, he made some comments. Uh, oh, he made some comments about the Constitution that, uh, if you are a constitutional scholar, you might take issue with. But as you noted at, at the beginning here, you said he said that both sides of the Taiwan Strait same, share the same culture, feel the same attachment to the homeland. Okay, so in 1940, there were 5.87 million people in Taiwan. So let's round that up to six million. So 1945 comes around, and one million, and some people say two, uh, probably not accurate, but okay, let's give them two million people come in here. The people from China have always been in a minority, sharing the same culture. Now, the six million that were here before that definitely probably had some some uh, connections to their ancestors and the Fujian villages where, where they came from. But as soon as the Communist Party took over China and brought in the Cultural Revolution and s- destroyed Chinese culture and all of that, the, it, the, there, there was a break. And there has been a break now for some 70 years. So to say that we share the same culture is just not accurate in my view. And the same attachment to the homeland, this is also just not accurate. Eighty percent of people in Taiwan right now were born in Taiwan, grew up in Taiwan, considered Taiwan their home. And we've seen very clearly as the polls have, have moved from the 90s until now, that now, as opposed to the 90s, whopping majority, something perhaps even approaching 90%, identify as Taiwanese. So I personally don't think that Mind Joe is over in China conspiring with generals and talking about how best they could invade Taiwan. I just think he's from a different generation that hasn't gotten the memo yet that things have changed. So he seems he, he was a, a translator for Jiang Jingguo, and, and he, he seems to really honestly believe in the Republic of China idea, which encompasses the mainland. It's, he wrote Revitalize China and all of this. He seems to really believe this, but I don't think he understands that he is in an extremely small minority in Taiwan currently. I mean, even when we had Han Guoyi running for president, and he was talking about Zhonghua Mingguo, Zhonghua Mingguo. Now, Han is only six years younger than Ma Ying-jeou, but he, to me, is clearly from an, another viewpoint where his idea of the Republic of China is what Taiwan was in the 1970s, when things were run by one party and it was easy to get stuff done, uh, including uh, whatever, uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, corruption, et cetera, et cetera. So let's just say that it, he has his, his, his version. But then if you took that out to the average person on the street, they would have a, an, another version of what the ROC means. And then finally, when you get down to young people, they don't even know what Zhonghua Mingguo means. To them, China is a foreign country. If you are, you know, a 20 years old or so, it's just a different country. Now, we do speak a similar language in Mandarin, but the only part that I agreed with that he said there was the more contact with each other. So, yes, we do need contact to avoid conflict, and I do think it's a good idea that people go over there and talk. It probably does result in, in less possibility of war. But what he believes and what is the consensus in Taiwan right now, I think are very, very different things. It's probably why his presidency ended with such a low, low polling numbers, mm-hmm. since uh, you know, what was coming out of his mouth was not what, what really uh, the public wanted to hear or what they believed anymore. Uh, I, I have a bit of a different take on some of the things Michael said, though, as far as people here in Taiwan recognizing that, that the, the culture uh, came from 
the other side. Uh, I, I would say that tends to vary with with individuals and, and is not necessarily connected to one's political views or political affiliation. What I mean is as somebody whose family has been here 300 years might uh, adamantly agree that, yeah, of course, it's Chinese culture. We celebrate all the Chinese festivals. I, I know where my ancestral village is, and uh, if I have the chance, I'll go over there and honor my ancestors. Uh, but I would agree that that, that is an increasingly minor uh, uh, viewpoint where people would say, yeah, sure, we're culturally Chinese. But but there, there are plenty of people out there like that, even if it's a shrinking number. Um, that would be- you agree that it's probably less than 20 percent? I. I'm going to have to talk to more of those men on the street you, you mentioned, okay. and, and women, and children, since you mentioned yes, the children and the young people as well. Uh, but, but, but of course, it does uh, get, get connected to the politics as, as well, and China is just not a popular brand in Taiwan anymore. Uh, so it makes it easy to, to, to say, you know, I don't want to be associated with them. Uh, and, uh, Ma- yeah, Ma- and also, sharing culture doesn't really mean anything. I mean, we share culture with Britain in many ways, uh, uh, we speak a, a similar language. No, I, I don't. I don't speak. I, wait a second. I don't. My, I don't speak a similar language to Gavin. I don't know Gavin. what he's saying most of the time. And, 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 you know, any cultural reference he makes about things he grew grew up doing or watching on on the telly. I think he he calls it. You know, I have no idea what he's talking about. But uh, that that being said, uh, you know what what. I think we could all agree uh, what, what Ma is describing, it, 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 whether the political side or the cultural side, it, it, it doesn't resonate. And yes, it, 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 or it resonates with an increasingly smaller number of, of people here. Uh, and uh, nothing we say on this show is going to change Ma's mind. He's going to keep saying those things. And, uh, uh, he believes it. Yeah, he genuinely, genuinely believes it. But it's a minority view. But, Ross, I mean, Taiwan needs a great CEO, according to Terry Gore. Yeah, good luck with that. Uh, yeah. You know, there's – well, I, and I'm referring specifically to being nominated for, for president, let alone winning, uh, if he is, in fact, the nominee. I mean, there's so much speculation in recent days about who is who is trying to uh, – can I say cock block on the air? Fine. You said it now. <laughs> it's too late. Uh, yeah, within within the, the Chinese Nationalist Party, Kuomintang, uh, and uh, – yeah, they're they're famous for this over there at the Guomindang. 128 years history of of this kind of internal strife, lack of unity, uh, always trying to kill your your party comrade as a matter of higher priority than killing the Japanese or the communists or the the the, the Donghuai here in Taiwan. It was always a priority with this party to kill your colleague. Um, so there's this speculation that uh, maybe go, maybe the internal decision makers, including Chairman Eric Jew, are, are setting things up to facilitate Go being the candidate and not Ho, even though Ho has been the, the, the leader in the polls as far as who, who is the, the more popular candidate for the Kuomintang. And, but you know, his, Ho's refusal to say, I do want to be president, has alienated uh, uh, people in the party in recent Weeks and it's alienated the public, as reflected by uh, comments uh, or lack of comments, uh, anything to do with uh, China and that sort of well, stuff. He was hoping that he was hoping the thing bit. would be would be facilitated for him. But uh, go go is is a great businessman, but he'd be a a, a very flawed presidential candidate. Uh, not that Ho was a great candidate, as uh, you know, Michael's you know, pointed out 
well, one of the reasons why he wouldn't be such a great candidate. Uh, but but Go, his his investments, his business activities in China, uh, let alone his massive wealth, uh, just, target. they just make him so flawed. I mean, he'd be target for so much stuff. And one of the things I pointed out four years ago when he first ran for president is if he were to be the candidate or the president, I mean, imagine the information you'd have to put in your financial disclosures. I mean, he'd be spending millions of dollars on, on legal fees just to do that and probably wouldn't even do it correctly. And then people will catch him, you know, there'll be a gotcha moment, right? Oh, you forgot to list, you know, this bank account with a million dollars in it, you know, which for Terry Go is like, you know, nothing, right? But but somebody will say like, oh, you forgot that, you know, that bank account you have in Singapore, you know, you're, you're money laundering, you know, he's, you know, he'll be fighting things like that. And, and the China stuff, you know, you, you have slave labor at, at, at your factory in China, which will probably be said by somebody who has a, has a phone made at that factory. Um, but but uh, yeah, I mean, these things would just... Uh, really have a they'd be a huge time suck on, on his campaign and I, I don't know how he would respond to that other than emphasizing we need the CEO yeah I, I do have factories in China I'm a great businessman I got factories in India we're trying to do business there as well uh, vote for me and I'll just do business with everyone uh, I, I, I'd be shocked if William Lai lost to Terry Go. yeah I don't know enough about his uh, business to make a, a, a statement like you did, where he's a great businessman. I would uh, attribute a, a great deal of it to more luck, but anyway, that's my personal opinion. I also wonder about his hissy fit from four years ago, right? So four years ago, he doesn't get the nomination. He goes, fine then, and he leaves in a very sort of immature, ridiculous way. Now... Four years ago, if I'm not mistaken, Lai Qingde challenged uh, the president in the primary, and he lost, and he shut up, and he became vice president. And so that's just something that I would bring up, that uh, you don't even have the strength of will to uh, unify with the party after you weren't chosen, and now you say you're going to be the one who's going to unify all of the non-Greens. You are, this guy is used to doing what he wants to do when he wants to do it, and actually that's not the role of a president or any elected official. There, there's a lot of, uh, of boundaries that they have. So if I were lie right now, I, I agree with you. I would be looking forward to them nominating him because it would be just wonderful. And we have to take a short break now, but we'll return after these rather important commercials. And welcome back to Taiwan this week. And as we've talked about the DPP and the KMT, we'll also throw the Taiwan People's Party into the mix this week, as Nikkei Asia published an interview with party chairman Kerwin Zhe earlier this week, in which the former Taipei mayor touted his belief that Taiwan can learn from Japan and Singapore on how to navigate tensions between the United States and China. Now, according to Kerr, Japan faces more pressure from the United States and China than Taiwan, but Tokyo deals with the two countries with great flexibility. 
And Kerr said that Li Dunghui told him on more than one occasion that whenever you feel the mounting pressure of being squeezed between the US and China, you should look at how Japan deals with them. Kerr also criticised the DPP, describing it as being a pro-war party due to its strong stance against Beijing's pressure. And he also described the KMT as being too deferential towards Beijing, while going on to argue that his party is best placed to lead Taiwan at this time of tension. Kerr also talked about President Tsai Ing-wen's trip to the United States and former President Ma Ying-jeou's visit to China, saying that they should not be viewed as individual incidents as it's an apparent tit-for-tat between the US and China. Now, the interview with Nikkei Asia comes as Kerr is scheduled to leave for the United States this weekend for a three-week visit. Now, Kerr will be travelling to New York, Boston, Washington and Houston, but he stressed in the Nikkei Asia interview, Ross, that he has no plans currently to visit China. He's trying to do a little bit of media exposure before he visits the U.S. to you know, let let people know what his his views are. Um, I would have said who he is, but I think you said it more politely. I I, I don't know if it's really going to um, you know make a difference. Uh, I have a column coming out tomorrow where I talk about Maricos or now Chairman Co's trip to to the U.S. Yeah, he's got he's got a bunch of challenges, starting with the one you, you know, we just identified. You know, people in the U.S. are unfamiliar with him. Uh, notwithstanding the fact that he was mayor for eight years, he did visit Washington in, in 2019, right around this time, when there was speculation he was going to run for president just after he was uh, reelected. It was very analogous to Ho Yoi's situation right now. Um, he made public speeches at, at the think tanks and he met some government officials. He took some photos outside of government buildings. I wrote in my, my column that's coming out tomorrow that I, I hope he doesn't do that again, <laughs> just to say you know, he was outside, you know, he was at, he was president of government buildings. Uh, but uh, he's also going to face a lot of criticism from uh, the DPP, DPP politicians. Uh, DPP supporters in the United States, uh, scholars who are friendly to the DPP in Washington, D.C. Uh, they're they're going to be saying some not nice things about America. They're, they're going to say he's uh, pro-China uh, or he's too accommodating to China. They'll even point out to the recent, the recent interviews. Uh, my advice, uh, had he taken it, which uh, he obviously hasn't, uh, would have been don't go. There's no need. All these wonderful U.S. congressmen are coming here. You, you can meet with those people when they come here. All these think tank scholars are going to be coming through Taiwan this year to watch the election. Uh, so uh, you can meet with him there as well. Uh, he's going to be out of town or out of the country for three weeks, which means he's not really working on candidate selection for, for legislative candidates. He's taken a big group, and that's going to cost a lot of money. And he's, he's also uh, periodically claimed you know, poverty for the, for the TPP and how difficult it is to raise money. I, I wouldn't have much expectation that he'd be able to raise a lot of money in the United States either. I mean, if he had said, I'm going, yeah, I'm going to like three big fundraisers, you know, one in like Houston, San Francisco, and L.A., and uh, I'm going to come back with, with uh, 100 million NT donations, then I would have been like, yeah, go for it. That's great. Uh, But ultimately, we know what this is about. This is about trying to get Uncle Sam's endorsement. And it's the same reason why Julie Lewin went to Washington last June and why Julie Lewin, when he was a presidential candidate, uh, went to Washington, D.C. in November 2015 and why President Tsai, uh, when she was the opposition head, chairman of the DPP, she went in 2015 and 2011 in the months preceding the 2012 and 2016 elections. It didn't work for her in, in 2011 because the Obama administration badmouthed her. 
her trip went much better in in 2015. Um, anyway, the Obama administration was was out, working on leaving at the time. Anyway, so uh, and the Guomindang brand was was basically destroyed at that point. So it was pretty obvious she was going to win. But for for America or Chairman Ka, it'd be the likelihood of of anyone whether members of Congress, executive branch officials at the State Department or the National Security Council, whoever he ultimately meets, or the think tank scholars, the quote-unquote experts, the likelihood of anyone saying something like, this is the guy. And I hope Taiwan voters really give serious consideration because William Lai is bad for these reasons and uh, Ho Yo Yi or Terry Go are bad for these reasons. Oh, and, and this this really, oh, he, he's a doctor. He was a great mayor. He's got the right China policy. I, oh, oh, Taiwan would be so much better off with, with Ko and Zhou as, as their next president. Nobody is getting in Washington or anywhere else he goes in the U.S. where he might meet influential people, you know, he meets some mayors or scholars at universities and other parts of the U.S., nobody's going to say that about him. So then what was the point? In a few sentences, Ross, could you explain the TPP's China policy? Uh, well, I, I guess as of today, we have to reference his interview uh, the, you know, that Gavin just mentioned because that's the policy of the moment. Uh, he did say something like, and I'm probably going to misquote him a bit, so uh, with apologies to Chairman Go, something like, politically, there is not currently one China. So I guess he was kind of pushing back on on the stuff Michael was talking about with the vision of my Joe, the way my Joe is presenting these things. Uh, so... Um, so that's the that's the green stance. And w- what else does he have? Does he have anything original? Yeah. Well, again, that's the problem. You, you don't have anything original. Uh, you know, it's almost like again, you know, he's not taking my advice, but uh, it, it, I would have told him be like Terry Go and just say you were you were a great mayor for eight years, and then list out your accomplishments. I I went to the TPP website yesterday. Um, I couldn't find anything about what he did substantively as mayor. It says he was the mayor, but uh, you know, you'd think like he'd list out, you'd have a bunch of bullet points, like uh, uh, whether it was regard to public infrastructure or, or the budget. I, I mean, any politician who's been in office, even mine, Joe, would probably be able to come up with some things that mine, Joe, thinks made him a, a good president or a good but mayor. But if you're running for president, <laughs> it's going to come back to your China policy as the thing that you're going to get hammered on, especially by the DPP. Oh, absolutely. I'm not disagreeing with that, but, but you got to have a starting point, and, and you can't just be a total blank slate. So, as Gavin said, I mean, he's almost like, going, you know, he's going to the, the U.S. is a blank slate. And, and yeah, even if he was weak on China and defense policy, and we all know he, he basically is, and you know, he's not an, an expert on weapon systems and things things of that nature, which people in Washington want to hear about, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, at least try to drive the conversation somewhere and say like, well, yo, by the way, we, because the TPP, they talk a lot about housing justice, actually. It's actually one of the more prominent things that they, they mention on their website. But but it, it, like everything else with them, there 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 aren't specifics. And, yeah. and looking at it from 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 a, a foreign audience perspective, I, and I mean the the people he's going to be meeting in Washington or other places in the U.S. Again, I think you'd want to go, go to them and say, I, I was a great manager. I know how to run bureaucracy. I know that's part of my sales pitch to the public in Taiwan. Uh, but and, and oh by the way, my opponents uh, they might say the same thing because Ho has been a mayor and a deputy mayor, and Lai was a mayor and the but so so we all have this executive experience. But I'm better for these reasons. You know, at least at least make your sales pitch. It's like, dude, you're not even trying to really make a sales pitch. He branded the KMT as too deferential. So that 
uh, he's trying to his his party's goal is to peel away uh, at least a small sliver of the green part and then a small sliver of the blue part and then to capture the middle people that he believes exist in Taiwan that are fed up with both sides, whether that's true or not. So the KMT is too deferential. All right, guess what? You just got like 5% of the DPP people to agree with you. Then he calls them DPP pro-war. Oh, you just lost them. So all he says is his party is best placed to lead Taiwan at this time of tension with China, but he hasn't said how or why or anything. So it's, it's farcical. Again, if, if, assuming everything we just said, all these criticisms are, are accurate, why go? Why spend all that time and money and, and how to take the risk? That at you're... best, he's looking at a vice presidential slot. <laughs> well, uh, that remains to be seen and depends if Go is, is the KMT's candidate and yeah, it's all exactly. the speculation about that Go and could co- co- cooperate. And then we talk about what that might mean for the, the TPP's legislative candidates, especially the at-large uh, uh, candidates or, or winning the at-large seats. Uh, uh, I think it would be really difficult for him to cooperate with Go if Go is is the well, I mean Dong's okay. candidate. If Go was an independent candidate, and and, and and for gosh sakes, I don't know why Go wants to be the Go Min Dong candidate. He might as well just be an independent candidate. If you become the Go Min Dong candidate, then you have to take on the 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 baggage that comes with uh, representing the Go Min Dong. And if he wins, then uh, the, you know, there'd be a lot of calls for him to be the the party chairman because the president normally would be the party chairman. Sorry, Mr. Eric Ju, uh, but that's all very very speculative. I'm just saying if. If and given what what criticisms Chairman Ke just made about the Gomin Dong, I, I really struggle to see a scenario where where Ke would be number two to the Gomin Dong candidate as opposed to being number two with with Go if Go had decided to run as an independent. Yeah, I mean your note about the, him being the KMT candidate is probably accurate, but I can see a scenario where they nominate Terry Go and he. If he's wise in, in any way, if he teamed up with someone like Ke, he could outsource most of the work to a guy who at least understands the concept of bureaucracy and uh, law and how things uh, are supposed to go. And he could be what he wants to be, which is uh, a figurehead, a statue. He wants to be Grandpa. He, he wants to be Zhang Jingguo in his uh, later years, you know, that kind of old, lovable dude who this is his last bit of service for the country, and yeah, so I can see a scenario where the two of them uh, team up, and they uh, sell it as a, we are both, you know, not political-minded, we are both business people and uh, executives and uh, mayor and da 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 so yeah, I, I don't see it as completely farcical, and I think that might possibly be because uh, motivation for for this well there, there's a there's a, a, a first step there and that would be for the Guomindang to uh, you know block and, and make Guo the candidate which still which remains to be seen they're going to do by by just yeah, yeah I, I I don't know. I mean, you know, Ho Ho still seems to be popular with 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 the public more so than Guo at the moment, and with uh, I would run Ho definitely. Uh, yeah, but you you just said they they might block him. So you want to put somebody on this? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yeah. Michael's taking bets. No, we can't do that. Can't do that. 
Can't do that. Anyway, before we go this week, there's an egg crisis still in Taiwan. We talked about this several weeks ago when there was eggs. There's apparently no eggs now in the north. And, Michael, apparently you have them in the south, but apparently there's a big dearth of them still in the north. And the government's- oh, It was pretty hilarious uh, a week or so ago. I went to the local supermarket and I was just getting some juice or something and I see a, a stack of eggs there and I'm like, what's this fuss about eggs? So I go and there's a sign there in Chinese that says, you know, one one carton per person. So I buy one and bring it back and uh, I'm like, honey, you said you wanted eggs? Well, I got eggs. She literally like dropped the spatula from cooking and ran over and threw on her clothes and ran to the supermarket so that she she could get her and she like, grabbed the kids. Each one of you is one, so that means we have three. And it was it was kind of uh, borderline insane. But yeah, that's over, and now you can pretty much buy as many eggs as you want in the South in most places. So uh, yeah, now uh, the great egg disaster of 2023 is for you guys in the north. And Ross, of course, they're still importing millions of eggs. Apparently, the Council of Agriculture will be importing 30 million more eggs this month and next month. Well, hopefully, they won't go to waste. Uh, these things happen with in recent years. Part of his supply chain problems globally. It's not unique to Taiwan. Uh, then we get caught with too many. I think that happened with vaccines. <laughs> you know, we, we imported too many, and then a lot of the locally made Medigen vaccines went went into the trash. You L- can literally. freeze eggs, uh, like with uh, dry freezing. I don't, I, I don't know how how people here like fresh food. I don't know how That's many people true. want. Uh, you know, if you went to like the local breakfast shop, which is a, a big user of eggs, um, I, I, if they had a sign that said our eggs were, were frozen for a while, I'm not sure how well that would go down. I think people would walk over to the next store and get get the non frozen eggs. Uh, it. it it looks bad for the government, for sure. It's you know, there's there's political damage, even if the government is not necessarily to blame for global supply chain problems. Uh, unfortunately, as often occurs in this situation, the government gets caught in in its overly optimistic statements early on in these kinds of crises, and it comes back to to hurt them. So they they might start off by saying there's no problem. Uh, they'll they'll go to they'll take the press to like the one store that has eggs and say, see, there's eggs. Uh, or, or the one farm where where, where 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 there's eggs being produced this morning and going on a truck and say, see, the, the eggs are getting into the distribution channel. And then they'll do what I just said. Or oh, okay, we have a problem. So we're going to import lots of eggs. And then in a month or two months later, you know, we have overabundance of eggs. And you know, again, I wouldn't want any food to go to waste. That would be terrible. Uh there's definitely some political damage, uh, whether or not the Guomindang could actually you know, make use of it months from now when the election occurs. I, the Guomindang being such bad political messengers, I, I wouldn't be optimistic that you – know, again, this will probably be forgotten. As long as the distribution channels resolve their problems, then come October, November, December – I don't think the Guomindang is going to be campaigning on. Remember when there were no eggs in, in and then March? The D- and the DPP would simply be giving people omelets at their rallies. Yeah, good point. You're going to hand out hand out eggs, and uh, everybody will be everybody everybody will be happy. Egg static. Uh, there you go. Oh, I was just waiting. I knew there was going to be an egg pun in there. So Either someone was going to chicken out, someone was going to lay something, but you had to do it. I think we could conclude that we know what the existential threat to Taiwan is, and it's not coming from the hens. No, we've worked that one out during this week's show. Anyway, that's I'm all. I'm chickening out. Thank you for that, Michael. Yes. Ah. Anyway, go buy your missus some eggs.
just they before they do. run out. Anyway, that's all we'll leave it here this week on Taiwan This Week. And I've been joining the studio today here in Taipei by Ross Feingold. Have a good weekend. And from Kaohsiung by Michael Smith, where there are plenty of eggs. Yes, come down south if you need eggs. And thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcast on our favourite podcast app where you can get access to all our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 9 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.